0: And welcome to our fourth episode, technically our third race episode for Forecast F1 with myself, Samantha Horbath, and Anton DeVries. And Anton, how do you feel after watching this race, the Australia Grand Prix?
1: Well, I think we could fill podcasts just talking about lap 53 until the end. <laughs>
0: That's so very, very true. Yes. Um, well, why don't we talk a little bit about the track like we have been doing in the last few races?
1: Um, do you want to start? No, you go ahead, Samantha.
0: Okay. So the Australian Grand Prix, it takes place at Albert Park. And this year there is four DRS zones. Last year there were three, but they re-added the fourth DRS zone, which ultimately means that there is better overtaking opportunities, specifically around Turn 11 and also it provides the cars the ability to have a closer proximity to each other. Anton is there anything that you want to add about the track as well?
1: No, I think uh, that's it. Well, they had a couple of changes last year but um, other than that we, we there's nothing new, I think.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Actually, I will say this, not necessarily pertaining to the track but just in general, we did see this race weekend the addition of or the adjustments to the grid boxes. They did widen them by 20 centimeters. So that was an adjustment after, obviously, the last two races and the penalties that were handed out to Alonso and Ocon. Right. One other thing I think we should mention, maybe before we get into the race, is just the rule about the pit celebrations. And I guess questioning whether or not they're going to enforce that.
1: Well, I don't think we were able to test it this week (laughs) because we ended the race under a safety car.
0: Fair point. We definitely did, but question is: Do you believe that this is something that they're going to enforce, or is there maybe just going to be a modified version of climbing the pit wall or some way of celebrating? At least for me, I think that seeing the teams climb the pit wall and uh, or climb the fence, we should say, it's an iconic moment. It's just a it's a moment that you are so used to seeing it's hard to imagine it not being there
1: yeah well whether it will be enforced or not I don't think anyone is waiting has been waiting for this uh, new rule but uh, yeah that's a good question I I think it will be difficult to really it might be just a thing where they're going to get financial fines for doing so Uh, I think you're still allowed to as a team to go in between the holes on the pit wall but there's well, I don't know. I, I, th- I find it hard to believe that <laughs> we're going to stop seeing this, like you said, iconic celebration of, of race wins. But let's see.
0: We will see. But I agree. I, I hope that it's something that doesn't change. OK, so we have a lot to talk about. This race was not only a long race, but it was filled with a lot of, well, the word that's being commonly used is chaos. There's no doubt about that. So let's get into qualifying.
1: Yeah, good idea. So, uh, I think qualifying was actually quite an interesting session to look at, and um, I think start of it was uh, well. I guess for those that watched uh, free practice three, everyone was wondering uh, how well Peres would uh, would hold on to his car, and uh, he showed straight away in Q one that he that he had a lot of difficulty doing that.
0: Yeah, and he was going quite fast into that turn, but given the radio message, I question whether or not he was actually struggling with something within the car itself.
1: Yeah, I think that must have been the case. I mean, in FP3, he he went off at turn three, I think four, even almost five times. So yeah, it must have been, I mean, it's hard to imagine that a a driver like Perez will make the same mistake five times. Uh, So uh, it must have been something with the car.
0: Yeah, actually going forward, even beyond qualifying, during the race, he started from the pit lane and that was after a series of changes to the car. So something that we don't necessarily know might possibly reveal itself later on during the season. I guess we have time to find out.
1: Right, and then in Q1, I think uh, we saw a couple of other, we saw great laps being set by Hockenberg and by Albon. Uh, I think we saw a small spin of Sargent that was in Q1 uh, in the final corner. Then into Q2, again, Hulkenberg said a good lap, Album said a good lap, Gasly did so too. So then we got into Q3, and I think that was a very exciting session. What were your thoughts?
0: I think that I was pleasantly surprised to see the pace in Mercedes. I think a lot of people were. Going into this weekend, I wasn't anticipating them to do so well in qualifying, but the fact that they took P2 for Russell, P3 for Hamilton, was quite impressive. They haven't made any significant modifications to the car as of yet, uh, which I believe they're going to add come come to Emelon. Um, But the fact that they were able to find the pace and get to where they were is going into this race weekend or into Sunday, something that is quite exciting to see.
1: Yeah, true. I think it was, uh, it was good to see Russell and Ham- Hamilton challenging each other. It was interesting because... I think Verstappen's first two flying laps weren't great. He had small hiccups, so it actually looked like uh, there would be a chance for other drivers, and that made the that made the session exciting. But um, but in the end, yeah, Verstappen did take pole, uh, but like you said, the rest behind him were, were very close together. And uh, and yeah, even Alonso, who perhaps some people were <laughs> hoping would, uh, would start higher up, but in the end, I think we should also not get used to uh, these results of Aston Martin and still consider it a really good result for Alonso where I think he started P4, didn't he? P5?
0: Yes, he started at P4. And Stroll himself uh, qualified for P6 as
1: well. Right. And signs in between the two of them.
0: Signs in between them. Also interesting to mention is Leclerc uh, finishing and starting at P7. He seemed to struggle in Q3.
1: Yeah, he didn't even go out at the last part, didn't he?
0: yeah yeah he didn't. I believe if uh, if I am cor- correct, the main reason why we was because he did not have enough fuel. Uh, but either way, look, this this season so far has been quite a struggle for him. So it is still early, but unfortunately, him starting from P7 wasn't what I imagined Ferrari wanted to see.:
1: I thought he didn't go out because I heard radio talk uh, on Ferrari's radio about their coming rain at the last three minutes, so I thought that that's why they didn't bother. But, (laughs) all right, well, fuel samples obviously need to be taken as well, so that makes sense. Although, yeah, that's a mistake that, well, we've seen it being made by other teams as well in the past. So
0: We definitely have. And I think that you had touched on this as well, but seeing Albin, Gasly, Nico all finish in in the uh, top 10 for qualifying was great for midfielders as well. Albin had... In one of the sectors, he was coming out as the fastest, so it was quite an impressive run for him.
1: Yeah, the middle sector was really the sector where where Williams had a well in the race. (laughs) I guess we'll come to that later, but uh, he was fortunate. Talk about? (laughs) Yeah, he was fortunate uh, during qualifying uh, in this in that sector. Were fortunate, I guess the car is just well set up to take that sector. But uh, but yeah, during the race it went the other way. Anyway, I think it's time to go to the race and, and start talking a little bit about that.
0: Okay. So there is a lot to talk about the race when it comes to the race. We've said this before, we'll say it again, but let's first start with the podium and then we're going to get into the meat and bones of what actually took place. So, Starting at the top of the podium, finishing in P1 was Max Verstappen. Coming in at P2 was Lewis Hamilton. And finishing off in third, P3 was Alonso. This also means that three world champions were on the podium this weekend, which was really cool to see. I would also just say that with Max now securing P1 after this race, this also means that it's the first time Red Bull has won the first three races of the season.
1: Right, and it's been, I think it has been since 2011, since Red Bull has won the Australian Grand Prix, 2011 or 12. I think you're right. That's an interesting stat by itself.
0: Absolutely. It sets, it begs the question, do we believe that Red Bull is going to be consistent and have a near perfect or possibly perfect season? Are they going to continue to break records? We also have noticed the, potential reliability factor in certain components of the car so will that maybe play a part in affecting their performance to be determined but one thing's for certain is is that the strength that they have had in the first three races is paramount
1: Ah, oh, that's true but we've got to take into account as well that when we go back one year we had red bull have quite a lot of reliability problems in the first three races where they went off both red bulls went off in bahrain Verstappen went off in Australia and after three races, we were talking about how Ferrari would be in the driver's seat because Red Bull would have a lot of reliability problems. Now we're saying that it might not be the case, but, you know, again, we've only seen three races. And in the end, last year, the whole season turned out to be quite different from what we thought after the first three races. So it might turn out different again. But looking at things how they are right now, you would say that Red Bull is not going to leave this up for grabs for anyone else.
0: I completely agree.
1: So let's go into the fast five. Samantha, what do you have?
0: Okay, I'm going to start with Checo, Sergio Perez, his relentless brave overtakes. They were so impressive. I feel like they deserve their own highlight reel. I hope that F1 does put together a highlight reel of that. I feel like they should. (laughs) I will watch it gladly but he also earned driver of the day, deservedly so. He had the fastest lap. I would say notably the overtake that was a nail biter, one of the nail biters, uh, was the one with Magnussen down the inside on one of the fastest parts of the track itself. Eventually he ended up
1: taking- He overtook uh, Gasly on the outside, like a a lap later, didn't he?
0: Yes, yes, absolutely no fear, pure bravery. Uh, It was quite impressive. And remember, he started in the pits. He also was in a situation where he was, given where he was placed during the race, during the red flags, which there were three, which we'll talk about later. But he was in situations where he could have been in some of these collisions. He not only narrowly missed them, but he also managed to make brilliant overtakes and finish with P5. So I think overall, it was a redeeming race in comparison to the qualifying that he had the day prior. And like I said, he deserved driver of the day.
1: Agreed. Agreed. I also had it written down as, as one of my fast fives. I think uh, it would be good to talk a little bit about the race up until the point of the first red flag. Because before that, I don't have any fast fives written down. But again, I think it would be good to to talk about it a little bit. So like you mentioned, uh, Pires started in the, in the pit lane. So did Bottas. And then... I think the only drivers who started on soft were Gasly, Ocon, so both Alpines, uh, Joe did, uh, Bottas did from the pits, and then uh, the free sergeant and Perez started on hards. So after how many laps did we have a restart? Because on the first lap, Russell overtook Verstappen uh, on the first corner, and then there was a little bit of a scrappy part between Hamilton and Verstappen as well, where Hamilton overtook Verstappen. And then Leclerc, Touching with Stroll. (laughs) I think uh, what what did you think about that? Who's who's who was to blame for that?
0: You know, I think ultimately it was a racing incident. However, I do think that Leclerc was a little punchy going into that turn. So this is what's gonna happen. I mean, you're at the beginning of the race, you're going into the turn. He may have if if he had slow if he (laughs) how do you tell a how do you tell a driver to slow down? That's impossible. But If he, he, I think that there could have been an opportunity for him to avoid that had he not have been so aggressive. But at the same time, he's coming from P7. He's in a position where he is on the back foot. So ultimately, when you are in that position, you're going to give it your all. But at the same time, I think that there could have been an opportunity where he might have been able to avoid it again it's still a racing incident for him. It's another unfortunate ending to a race weekend, but this is a third race, so we can have some optimism and some hope that he is going to come back. He's an extremely talented driver.
1: He will come back, but I think he only has six points from three. I think he's now drawn with uh, Hülkenberg. So yeah, he's got a a long way to go, but uh, yeah, it was unfortunate. So um, I think on lap seven, Albon slides off the track, uh, through the gravel. Did you see how much gravel went on the track and Gasly and Hilkenberg driving right through it?
0: Oh, I was watching the driver cam afterwards with Nico, and thankfully he had quite a great reaction to that because that was, that must have been quite scary to be in that yep. position and see that, especially with the gravel and the smoke. You could hardly see Albin flying out on the track.
1: It was, it was interesting that they showed the driver cam from Hülkenberg because it was actually Gasly who went through that gravel who was even closer to to the crash. And that I would have liked to see. Actually, I would have liked to see it through the helmet cam. That would have been interesting just to see the amount of re- reaction time that a driver gets to react to that. You know, it's, it's, it's milliseconds.
0: Well, and going back to what we touched on in qualifying, this accident or this uh, Albin oversteering took place in the fastest sector that he had in qualifying where he was finding his strength. So, took it a little bit too strong, oversteered, rookie mistake, but we lick our wounds, we move on.
1: (laughs) True. So, I think during the first red flag, we already saw that De Vries and and, and Sargent went to mediums. And then with the second red flag, which happened after uh, Albon sliding off, it was um, it was Signs and uh, Russell pitting to to change tires, which made them lose track position, and then we did get a red flag. So I don't think they were very pleased with that.
0: Yeah, I believe that actually took place on the first red flag, the uh, Russell and Signs changing, uh, because they they did that early during the first safety car, and then it was the once once the red flag was triggered, they realized they had lost the track position.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so did you see right after the red flag, when they started again, the formation lab where everybody was backing up and and Magnussen had to go through the gravel because he was approaching at speed and everybody was just at a standstill, basically.
0: Yeah, that was unbelievable and extremely dangerous. Not to mention the fact that when you are driving that slow, you're losing the temperature in your tires as well.
1: Yeah, I don't even know who was the driver, who was the first one to really stop because yeah, it wasn't even further investigated, and that should have been investigated. but um but yeah, I think there were a couple of other things that uh, <laughs> went past the stewards. But um, yeah, but this was one of them, and I thought, I also, pooh. I mean, that could have ended very differently
0: absolutely. And thankfully it didn't
1: right. So then we had first and overtake Hamilton again on on lap twelve. and um, Hamilton wasn't really fighting it. I think that was the the clever thing to do,
0: yes. I mean, the pace of, of Red Bull uh, is undeniable. So I think that was a wise decision on Hamilton's part.
1: Yeah. So then Russell had a problem on lap 18 where he, I think he was driving. He was in P6 at that point. You know, if you look at how good his race started, how unfortunate his ending was, uh, it was quite sad.
0: Yeah. I, I think that if that red flag, that that initial red flag had not been triggered, who's not to say where he could have ended up because he was in a great position. I think strategically going in and changing four hards during the safety car, the initial safety car was a wise decision for Mercedes that would favor Russell. However, there was an unfortunate series of events, and I guess the ending for him was, was not so sweet.
1: Right, right. So I realize we're not really talking much about fast fives, uh, one of my fast fives, but it's a little bit later on in the race, actually. It's just before all the carnage, starting on lap 53. Did you see the fight that Norris and Hülkenberg were, were fighting out for few laps where Norris had such a hard time getting close to Hülkenberg in his, in his McLaren? But in the end, he did overtake him, and, and Hülkenberg kind of, well, he, he snapped a little bit. He, he went into the gravel for a little bit, and uh, but I thought that was a great fight to watch.
0: It was a great fight. I actually, I had a feeling you were going to put that down on the fast five. <laughs> but it was it was great. It was nice to see Norris back in a position where he's battling for a spot. Uh, so I thought that it was a great overtake.
1: So what other fast fives did you write down? What, what stood out for you?
0: I would go back. Uh, one of the fast fives that I would mention is, in general, over the weekend, the Mercedes pace. The fact that they did qualify second and third. Like I said, I think I think it was a surprise for many people to see them in a position where they were that competitive. And then, like you had touched on the initial start, Russell had a fantastic start. Hamilton was right there being aggressive with Verstappen. And and there was a brief period of time where they were both holding P1, P2. Right. Again, for Russell, it ended up unfortunate. But I would also say that Hamilton seemed to have a pretty consistent, solid race. Him and Alonso were at each other for quite a while, but he managed to fend off Alonso by about one and a half, two seconds on average in terms of a lead overall. And for him, it was his best result that we have seen in a while. So overall, I think unfortunate for Russell for Sunday, but ultimately a pretty successful weekend for Mercedes.
1: Yeah, I think you could tell from Hamilton on his Ford radio just after the race how how glad how happy he really was he was he was very content
0: absolutely and again i thought that it was really really cool to see alonso and hamilton battling they're, they're on the podium together it's just something that they have such a long extensive history and they are drivers that you love to see on the track battle each other so looking ahead I think that with Mercedes' pace and where Aston Martin is, we're going to see a lot more battles that are going to be like this.
1: What about the rare Verstappen mistake where he was mowing the grass on lap 47?
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was something, wasn't it? That could have changed changed a lot. I mean, there were so many things that were happening during this race. How do you keep up?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. We, uh, I don't know. I think, well, we're bound to get into Magnussen uh, and his, uh, well... I don't know what you want to call it, but, uh, I don't think you call that a kiss. I mean, if if, if...
0: (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't a kiss. (laughs) Is that one of your fast fives that you want to
1: mention? Well, frankly not, but I do want to mention it. (laughs) There was a lot of debris on track. I think, I think it was, you know, I think we can discuss about whether it was worthy of a red flag, but we were on lap 53 and then. You know, with that much debris on track, cleaning it and everything, if they would have just called a safety car, I'm afraid we would have ended the race under a safety car. And we all know that they don't want that. So that's, I think, the main reason why they turn it into a red flag, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and that third red flag uh, was a defining moment for a lot of drivers because it initiated the final standing start. And we'll obviously touch on that as to what happened there. But that I I believe I agree with you. I think that that red flag and some people are going to question it, but there was just so much debris on the actual track that it made sense that that red flag was called. However, it is important to mention that in total, there was three red flags throughout this race, which is a record (laughs) in Formula One.
1: Yeah, I think there's only been so many races where there were three red flags. You're right.
0: Yes, so let's get into your uh, next Fast Five, Anton.
1: Well, we have to go to the end of the race for that, but um, for me, seeing Piastri take his first Formula One points at his home race, at his hometown, yeah, that, that's got to be a Fast Five for me.
0: Absolutely. It was. If he's going to secure his his first points in Formula One, why not let it be in his hometown?
1: And I think, well... I don't think that mclaren had a particularly good weekend by itself but just by the sheer amount of DNFs and the way that the end of the race unfolded they were quite uh, i don't want to say lucky i mean in the end they managed to race well but uh, they were a little bit fortunate to to score as many points as they did but it's good to see because i think it will give uh, i think it will give the team a little bit of confidence and that's exactly what they needed
0: that's exactly what i was going to say as well This is something that they definitely needed, if anything, for a confidence boost.
1: Right. So let's go to that restart that we had after that that red flag at the end of the race. So where do we start?
0: (laughs) I don't know. Where can you start? I guess we can start with what uh, triggered the chain of events, and that was Sainz' collision with Alonso. And where he also, in turn, received a five-second penalty. But again, I do believe this is another decision that was warranted in terms of the the penalty that was given to Signs. It was a, it was also unfortunate because overall his race was fantastic. He had a fantastic race, but he was giving a little too much going into the into that corner. Alonso did have the upper hand, but after that collision itself. Like I said, it seemed to trigger a, a chain of events. And for Alpine, both drivers out and a very costly weekend for the team.
1: Yeah, it could have been very costly for Aston Martin as well because of Signs tipping Alonso there. But Stroll also locked up by himself and went off. So, yeah, going back to the five-second penalty of Signs, I think when that would have happened at any other given time during the race, it would have been worthy of a five-second penalty because he should have steered further into the corner and he touched Alonso he was just very unlucky that the race ends under a safety car so the 5 seconds had so much of effect on his final outcome but you know the, the punishment is not given with the effect that it has uh, afterwards taken into consideration so the incident that happens is worthy of a 5 second penalty in my opinion i think people differ in opinions there but um, yeah, I do feel for him because <laughs> he did have a good race, but uh, but it turns out uh, as a P twelve for him. So so yeah.
0: I mean, it was it was heartbreaking to hear him on the radio and listen to his frustrations over that decision. He, like I said, he had he had a fantastic race. Actually, he was one of my fast fives, which I'll elaborate on right now since we're discussing it. And the one of the reasons why was because he had. He was going into this race with Leclerc out after turn one. So there was an added pressure for him being the only Ferrari driver. We already know that they've had a difficult start to the season and they're in a desperate position to gain points. So then he gets into a situation where Ferrari pits early during that safety car, similar to Russell. There was then the initiated red flag, which means that he's lost his track position. But... He then had some great overtakes on Sonoda, Hulkenberg, Stroll, Gasly. That was a really great overtake that he had to secure P4. And so when you're in that position where you've been fighting throughout the entire race and then all of a sudden to have it end the way that it did, regardless of we both agree that the penalty was deserved, but like you said, the timing was unfortunate for him it didn't give him an opportunity after all the battles and and the setbacks that he had already faced during the race and had been able to overcome this was something that it didn't matter what he did his result was going to be out of the points and moreover for Ferrari itself a very very t- challenging weekend that could have potentially been one where they may have at least secured something but one that was decisioned at the end of the race that didn't give them the opportunity to battle again. So it was an unfortunate ending for him, but I think that there were also some really strong moments that he had throughout the duration of the race itself. He was visibly upset. Not only was he on the radio expressing it, which we've mentioned is, was quite heartbreaking, but I don't think I've ever seen him as upset as he was after the race.
1: Oh, you're right. He, he's usually quite reserved. But uh, no, I think that's a good general. I think his race was indeed very good. And um, yeah, it's just a shame that, that that sometimes happens. You know, sometimes you get great races, but you get results like this. And then, for example, the only win signs ever had in, in Silverstone, I don't even think that was one of his best races. So, you know, sometimes it just turns out opposite of what you would, uh, what somebody deserves. But going back to the penalty, um, that he got, I was just a little bit surprised that there weren't more penalties, because I think for Sargent driving into the back of the freeze, that, that would have been a penalty in my book as well. I don't think he, he got it. And then, what happened actually with the two Alpines, because in the end Gasly is very close to, to a race ban. Did he, did he get reprimanded for it in the end? Did he get any penalty points?
0: No, I believe they just determined it to be a racing incident.
1: Alright, well, I thought that Gasly was, let's say, Gasly was more at fault than Ocon, but you know, I um, I can live with the racing incident as well.
0: <laughs> I think he can as well, given the fact yeah. that he is, like you said, dangerously
1: close to a race ban. I don't think he wants anybody bringing it up again.
0: Nope, nope. <laughs> okay, so I think we have again. I've lost count of our fast five. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we're not very good at keeping track. We're
0: not good at this. Okay, but in our own personal defenses, I mean, when it comes to this race, there's how can you, like how many, I I think we we could argue that it could be a fast 10. We basically have made it beyond that at this point. But Anton, why don't you touch on another one? I believe this would be possibly the last fast five, but I'm sure you have something there.
1: Well, to be honest, in between what I've already mentioned and the ones that you mentioned, I don't have any others. So uh, (laughs) we can also keep it at this.
0: Well, okay, then I'm going to mention just a few things that I had put down as well uh, that we had loosely discussed. But I just want to elaborate a little bit more. And that was on the midfield battle. So we had touched on Norris getting scrappy with Nico. I would also say Ocon had a beautiful overtake on Piastri, which which was great. Um, and another thing that I will say about some of these overtakes that we saw, we saw so many, and I think that part of the reason why was because the track itself was really catered to, with the four DRS zones, the opportunity to have more overtakes. We saw quite a bit of activity around turn 11, which is where they re-added that fourth DRS zone. So again, I the midfield battles were quite exciting. And you had already mentioned the fact that Piastri did secure his first points uh, in Formula One, which is great. And also securing points for the first time this season was uh, Joe, who we know I have said previously that I feel like he's going to have a great season. But he was getting a little scrappy out there, which was great to see. And then his end result was managing to finish in the points for Alfa Romeo.
1: Right. And then Hulkenberg got his first points of the weekend, of the season, sorry. And I will say this. If they wouldn't have reverted the order at the end, and they would have given that penalty to Signs, then actually Hülkenberg, who was in P four out of like after all the carnage that that happened at the restart after that last red flag, Hülkenberg would actually have gotten his first podium.
0: He would have. He would have. And he was so competitive this weekend. It was. It was definitely something to see. I mean, Magnussen for Haas has secured his first points last weekend. Now we see Hülkenberg doing the same. So overall, pretty good start for Haas going into this season.
1: Yeah, true. And it's interesting to see the battle between Hülkenberg and Magnussen because I think that Hülkenberg definitely had the better of Magnussen this race weekend. Uh, Already in free practice, you saw Magnussen going off and, and during qualifying, Hülkenberg was just he was outstanding, honestly. During all, well, except for Q3, I guess. But in Q1, Q2, he was amazing. He had a he had a great race, except for perhaps losing out the position in the fight against Norris. But he had a he had a damn good weekend, and and I'm, well, I'm very happy to see that because I had my doubts whether that would be the best choice for Haas to to have a, in, as a driver in the car. But well, he's <laughs> he's proving those that have had doubts proving them wrong
0: yeah you're absolutely right i would say i felt the same way i would i had i wasn't as optimistic with him taking that seat but seeing how he has gotten more comfortable every single weekend he also had a great qualifying in the first race of the season he was fantastic uh like i said this race this weekend overall so You mentioned the fact of the dynamic, the battle between the two of them, and I definitely think it's going to heat up as time progresses.
1: Yeah, and then the last point was taken by Tsunoda, which was, (laughs) if Sainz wouldn't have gotten the penalty, that would have been the third race in a row where he would have finished P11, but he did get P10 and he did get that first point in for Alpha Tauri.
0: Yeah, and he. I I was wondering if there was something wrong with his car towards the end of the race, the last 15 laps, because he seemed to be struggling quite a bit out there for pace towards the end of the race. Right. Okay, so we touched on the final standing start, the fact that it was absolutely pure chaos, Uh, what triggered it. And I would say just to wrap that part up is that, yes, the final lap was determined by or settled by a safety car restart. Okay, so I think that pretty much wraps up the Fast Five. We've covered quite a bit. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention, Anton?
1: Well, what I do want to mention is that the next section we're going to is forecast results.
0: Uh, I almost forgot about it since we've been talking so much about the race.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess... I guess we're both not too proud of our results, are we?
0: Oh my goodness. Uh, look, I'm actually really, as we know, I'm blind here knowing who the uh, top finishers were for the predictions, but I'm really eager to know because it was such a chaotic race that I anyone that did well this weekend, I mean, they, I uh, hats off to them. Hats off to them, <laughs> that's all I can say.
1: So let's have a look at the winners of this week, because this wasn't an easy race to predict, just like like you said. So it'll be interesting to see who did well. We'll also have a little bit of a look at high scores. We'll look at uh, those that were highly ranked previously and where they're ranked now. We'll go over who's top three right now. And we'll just go over a couple of stats and summarize a couple of things. So,
0: Okay, so... I have to ask, did anyone pick the correct podium?
1: So out of 475 people that played this weekend, there were actually two people who had the correct podium.
0: No way. Wow.
1: So getting the podium correct would also score you the highest points because the winner this weekend, he's from South Africa, his name is Muchichi Muloechi, and he scored 71 points. Getting a correct podium with Verstappen P1, Hamilton P2, and Alonso in P3. He also had Perez in P5. So I think that's, wow. <laughs> that's an outstanding result.
0: That is. That's unbelievable how you predict that, even with Perez in P5.
1: Yeah, that's impressive. He also scored points for Stroll. And um, well, he had him on P6, so he scored 25% of the points because Stroll finished. So he scored 71 points and then there's a bit of a gap to second place, which was won by Amir Hegezi from Egypt and he scored 63 points, but he also had a correct podium and he scored 50% of the points for Paris. So that got him 63 points, which is also really quite good looking at the mix up that we have on the table. So uh, third place was scored by Faustine Falli from France, 58 and a half points. So she did get P1 and P3 correct. She had Hamilton on P4, so she did score 25% of the points. She also scored 50% of the points for Norris, and not a lot of people got that. So that's the first three for this weekend. So congratulations.
0: Congratulations. Impressive. Very impressive.
1: Right. So... I think it's also interesting to mention that there was actually quite a few people who were playing forecast who were at the track, uh, either both on Saturday and Sunday or just on Sunday. So we actually had at least five people that I know of, um, which were Michaela, Jack and Ben and Dilara and Nathan. They're all at the track. So well, I, I think we can say that they saw at least the most exciting race so far this season, but possibly one of the most exciting race this season.
0: Completely agree. If you're going to be at a race, what a race to be at to watch live.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that must have been a great day.
0: <laughs> I can only imagine. I I don't think I would have sat down. I probably would have stood the entire race. I also probably would have had no voice. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and and looking at the weather, you know, on Friday with free practice two, it was raining. I think it was quite humid on free practice three. So, you know, uh, looking at how the weekend developed, they were also quite lucky with the weather that they had. But uh, but you could see that uh, these Aussies were really not gonna get turned down by a few drops of rain. I think. What oh was the no way! For this weekend,
0: I was just gonna say that uh, I think it was over four hundred and forty thousand for the weekend attendance. Absolutely unbelievable turnout in Australia.
1: Oh, true. All right. So let's look a little bit at the high scores. So in general, scores were quite low this weekend, which means that not a lot. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I-, I will tell you that in general, the weekends where people score fewer points in forecasts are usually the most exciting w- races to watch. But anyway, so... There was nobody who got into the worldwide high scores because P20 is currently set at 74. So, highest score this weekend was 71. So, there's nobody who gotten into that. But um, but obviously, the two guys who scored place one and two, both being from African countries, they settled in, in the African score list at P3 and P7 with their scores. And then on the Oceania side, with four Australians improving their scores... Uh, they also now have climbed in the in the high scores.
0: Yeah, like you had mentioned when it comes to weekends like this when your picks you know that your picks are are done. I mean, for me personally, I knew that they were not going anywhere strong within probably the first 15 minutes of the race. But with that being said, it there's no short of excitement when it comes to something like that because It really is a situation or a race where you're expecting the unexpected. So although many of us felt a lot of pain in our predictions, (laughs) at least we can say that it was a definitely heart-stopping race. (laughs) We all, we all in some degree were in shock.
1: Yeah, true. No, actually, and also looking at how long the race took, because you actually watched it live, didn't you?
0: Oh, (laughs) Right now, I am running on about three hours of sleep. So I haven't crossed the barrier of whether of of whether I feel like I'm in a dream right now, but I'm getting close. Yeah, I stayed awake. And for us here, Eastern Standard Time, it was 1am, the race started and i believe i by the time i actually went to bed it was about five in the morning but for us the race ended around 4 a.m but it took me a good hour to calm down (laughs) and be able to be relaxed enough to sleep for the three hours that i
1: did i i think it gave flashbacks for a lot of people to japan last year when it also took hours before the race actually started so yeah i decided to watch it sunday morning and and sleep for a little bit. And I'm glad that I made that decision. I can tell you that.
0: My my first thought when the race ended was, when is Anton going to watch this? Because I need to know what your response is. After every red flag, I was just thinking, another one, another thing's happening, another collision. What more can happen in this race? So uh, I was eagerly awaiting your response to let me know that you had finished actually watching it.
1: Well, it was a spectacle. You're right. So (laughs) I'm just going to ask you a question now. How many people do you think that uh, didn't have Verstappen in their picks on the podium? So how many people left him out of the podium?
0: And this is out of 467 for this weekend, right?
1: 475.
0: Oh, 475. My apologies. Okay. I am going to say 160.
1: 160 who didn't put him on the podium, you say? Well there was only six. now
0: I'm down now I'm down there, there was
1: cause... only thirty-three that didn't dare to put him on the podium. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know what? Actually, to be honest, my thought process behind that was whether or not he got P1 was not I, I misunderstood the question, but we're gonna blame that on my seeped, my sleep <laughs> I can't even speak. S- sleep, my sleep deprivation.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but right. let's
0: continue on, let's make it more interesting.
1: Yeah, you can blame the rest of your answers on that as well. <laughs>
0: I'm falling apart here.
1: Yeah, so there were 384 people who had Verstappen picked on P1, and the rest was shared between Alonso, Perez, and Leclerc, and there were four people who picked Hamilton. There was actually one person who had signs predicted on P1. There was one person who had Russell on P1, and it was one person who had straw on P1.
0: Now, could you imagine if Russell was able to have maintained the P1, then there would be one person in total out of four, over 470, that would have picked it right.
1: Imagine if it started raining half the race and and (laughs) Stroll would have won it.
0: Oh, that's true too.
1: (laughs) All right, so let's now go into looking at, do you remember who was uh, in our overall ranking? So accumulating points. Uh, Last year we looked at, uh, sorry, last race, we looked at who was first, second and third. So just to see where people end up, I'll go back to Jose Familia who had first place at the end of Saudi. So he only scored sixteen points. We made him drop to P thirty eight. So just to you know get an idea, at the beginning of the forecast season, points really do have a large impact. So if you if you're in first place but you score very little points, you will drop very deep. But number 2 Joaquin Caballero so this gentleman he was second last week or last race and he scored 35 points so he's now still in a shared P3 so you know you can maintain your spot if you do well continuously but uh, but if you don't you will drop so then the third place last last race was held by Franco Boyanich he was right behind the other two He scored 45 points this week, which actually brings him to first place this week.
0: Wow, congratulations.
1: Yeah, so coming from third to first, Franco Boryanits from Croatia. Then we have Yannick Lee, who we talked about previously, because he actually finished third on the podium in the Bahrain race. So he was at P6 after Saudi, and he's now in second place.
0: Very nice.
1: He's your fellow countryman from Canada. And yes. then we have a shared P3. And I actually already mentioned that Joaquin Caballero is there. And the other person is a familiar one for you.
0: Oh, OK. Am I supposed to guess this?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably going to be a little <laughs> bit tough. But uh, but yeah, so Nancy from Germany is in a shared P3 position right now in the overall rankings.
0: Nice, Nancy. I actually, if you had asked me to guess, I was going to, I w- Nancy was going to be the person that I was going to guess.
1: Well, we'll never know if that was true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sticking with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's all right. And uh, actually, Nancy's going to the next race in Baku uh, at the end of April.
0: She is. She is. I cannot wait to see her document it uh she does a she does a great job documenting the race weekend so yeah i think it's going to be awesome and it's the first sprint race of the season so that's
1: right that's right yeah that's going to be exciting so that also means that for a forecast you'll be allowed to make two lists not only for the race but also one for the sprint but we'll get into that a little bit later so let's um h- how many people do you think had Sergio Perez for fastest lap
0: I'm going to say it's probably a high number. I'm going to go with 280.
1: Uh, that's not that many. Remember, there's always, you know, there's about two thirds of the people who will pick for stuff. And so there's not 280 people left to, to pick, <laughs> <laughs> to pick this is, Paris. This is going but,
0: swimmingly well, my my guess is this. Well, I, I'll, <laughs> this I'll
1: give you this. Uh, Paris was uh, was second most popular for people picking. So there were 327 people who picked Verstappen for fastest lap, and there were 85 people who picked Paris. So there were 85 people who picked up that point for fastest lap.
0: Very nice.
1: Yeah, that is good. The average score was 38.2 this weekend, which is... Oof. Yeah, that's slightly lower. Well, you know, uh, because of Verstappen winning the race, there was quite a lot of people who actually picked up those 25 points. So that's what made the average not drop too much. But uh, it did drop a little bit. Uh, We had an average score of 44.4 for Bahrain and 43.1 for Saudi. So yeah, it did drop uh, by a couple of points.
0: But you know what that that tells you as well is it just tells you that the last two races have been quite unpredictable.
1: No, that's 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 true. Yes. Well, especially this one. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of other things. So we did have a couple of people that we wouldn't have expected to finish where they did. So let me go over those drivers and ask you, how many people do you think actually had Hamilton? So there was two people who had a correct podium, but how many people had Hamilton in P2? I'm
0: going to say eight.
1: Wow, ah, there you're getting close. You're getting oh. close. <laughs> Kudos for you. So there were nine people who had Ooh, Hamilton.
0: Okay, I was close. I was close. All right.
1: So we already established that there were 384 people who picked Verstappen on, on P1 and scored those 25 points. How many people do you think had Alonso in P3? Keeping in mind that he did score the same P3 podium place in the previous two races. So it's something that's looking to become, well, something that people would predict, I would say. What do you think?
0: Um, well... I really hope I'm right on this now because the numbers are starting to melt. I'm, I'm trying to remember what everybody picked uh, from what we've discussed. And I'm going to say 50 people.
1: There were 197 people. <laughs> who had a, no, but this surprised me too, to be honest. I mean, uh, 197 people, almost 200 people, So about 40% of the people who, who had Alonso on P3.
0: Well, that is, that is a pretty high number.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It definitely is. So then we go down to P four. There's Stroll. How many people had Stroll in P four?
0: Mm. I'm g- I'm going to say sixty.
1: Nineteen people.
0: No nine. way! Wow. Not a lot of not a lot of people with the faith in Stroll to come in P four, huh? Well, I was one of those people that didn't choose him for P four either. But I'm just saying.
1: Neither did I. I think I had a B eight. <laughs> I think you did too.
0: Uh I I might have had him in P eight. Yeah. yeah. I just he I, I think that um I, I think he's going he's his time is coming where he's going to finish in maybe P four, podium, P three, we'll see. But I don't think it's happened it's happening yet.
1: So actually that person who had stroll in P one actually did score twelve and a half percent of the points that Stroll scored because remember if you're one place off, you'll score fifty percent of the points. If you're two places off, you'll score twenty-five percent. And if you're three places off, so there's three places between P4 and P1, you'll score twelve and a half percent of the points that the driver score. Right. So then we get to Paris. He's he's in a fifth position. How many people do you think had him there?
0: Well, I am going to say a small number, maybe thirty.
1: It sounds very similar, but it was thirteen. <laughs> okay, I'm doing terrible
0: we, at this. this no, nah, that's all this right. Now we week. go to the
1: interesting <laughs> ones. Actually, now we're going to get to the interesting ones. So, P six Norris. How many people had Norris in P six?
0: Okay, okay. I I think this could go either way because if if you're using if if you're using Norris historically last year. He was finishing in in that range usually between six to eight, P six, P eight. That was he was consistent on. So, but then at the same time, if I'm looking at the last few races and where McLaren is at as a whole, I wouldn't I don't know if a lot of people would have faith to put him there. So I feel like I can go either way. Um, let's say 45. I keep going with lower numbers.
1: There was one person who had him in P6. Oh
0: my God.
1: Actually, I think if if only one person gets something right, that deserves a mention. But I, <laughs> I don't have the numbers ready, so actually, I got. I'll I'll get back to that and and, and tell who had Norris predicted that P six. Okay. So let's so let's go to Hulkenberg first. How many people had Hulkenberg P seven?
0: I don't think a lot, but if you said one for Norris, I'm going to say five for Nico.
1: Two, but yeah. Wow. So homeboy hero Piastri. He finished
0: eighth. I am going to say three,
1: five. But you're, you got <laughs> close there. You got close there. Joe, There's a trend
0: that, happening. There's there. It's it's less than ten for uh, less than ten people that are putting faith into into the drivers that finished in the final ten. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah.
1: Well, the next one it's it's well. What do you think, Joe?
0: I'm going to say two people.
1: Five people as well, just like. Oh. Okay. And then Tsunoda, P10.
0: You know, I, I feel like I feel like maybe more people would put Tsunoda in P10 just because his last race he finished in P11. So I'm going to say 12 people.
1: 24, double that.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> so getting back to the Norse P6 pick, that was actually scored by Brook from Morocco. And... Looking, trying to find the person that had him in P6, I actually realized there was also somebody who had Norris predicted in P3.
0: Uh, well, that's pushing it a little bit.
1: Yeah. So those were the scores for forecast this weekend. So looking ahead, we'll have a little bit of a break for the next couple of weeks. And we'll be back for another race week at the end of April. Like we mentioned, we're going to Azerbaijan. We'll be in Baku and we'll see a sprint race.
0: Yes. And like you mentioned, it is an Easter break. So we have about three weeks, a little more than three weeks off. So what are you going to do with your time since it's not going to be filled on the weekends watching the race?
1: Good point. I don't know. I guess actually I won't be too far away from you. I'll, I'll be in Connecticut next week. So um, that's pretty close to where you are. Yes, yes. Relatively speaking, speaking, I would say. But, um, yeah, no, I'm just going to be looking forward to that Baku weekend. And, you know, uh, I think it would be interesting to just go over the setup of the sessions and when you need to make your predictions. So, usually on a race weekend, you will have to make your predictions 12 hours before qualifying starts. So, actually, it's the very same in a sprint weekend, but you do need to realize that, qualifying is on the friday not on the saturday so you'll be able to watch free practice one on thursday but that's where it stops so no free practice two you need to make your picks right after free practice one so that's going to be on the thursday keep that in mind
0: okay good to know i will set my alarm
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think that's a good idea so what are you looking forward to in baku what are your what are your thoughts
0: I am looking forward to the sprint race, probably more than Christian Horner, as he's expressed that he's a little nervous about the potential cost or collision (laughs) on a track like Baku, but I am looking forward to seeing that. Uh, Look, Baku's always an, an exciting track to see, and I am going to be happy that we'll be back because after three weeks... I don't know what I will be doing during that three weeks because my weekends won't be filled with races. Actually, at least I know in the immediate future it's going to be sleeping. (laughs) But outside of that, I'm just going to be looking forward to getting back into the season.
1: Yeah, it's actually quite interesting that Baku was selected for a sprint race. It wouldn't be the first track for me on the list. If you're going to do six sprint races, well, I think there's better tracks or not better tracks but tracks better suited for doing a sprint race than Baku. but anyway let's not judge it before it has actually happened
0: that is very true
1: so let's get our hopes up and and let's hope that we're going to see something exciting
0: oh i think i think we will definitely see some things that are exciting and Going into this, it's the fourth race. There's so much that is heating up as this season progresses, whether it's the dynamic between drivers, whether it's teams and their modifications, whether it's teams right now that are currently struggling that we thought would be in a much better position. It's definitely a season that is heating up. And once we get to Baku, who knows what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, because I think there will be a decent amount of teams bringing updates to Baku.
0: Yes, I think so as well.
1: Yeah, so that's something to look forward to as well. So that's it for the Australian Grand Prix. And see you guys soon. Well, not too soon, actually, but uh, let's hope that time passes quickly.
0: I hope so as well. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye-bye.